It's great to see you this morning. We're starting a new series this week. It's called Questions I've Wanted to Ask God. I'm sure that there's a lot of questions you probably wanted to ask God. Today, I want to talk about what is God really like? I think that's an important question that people have, like, what's he really like? And that's going to affect the way that you live based on how you think God is and that relationship that you have with God. And your relationship with God is also going to affect the way that you treat other people. Because if you believe that God's a forgiving God toward you, you're more apt to forgive others. If you think that God is a condemning God, you're more apt to condemn others. Your view of how you think God is totally affects your relationships. I think it's a very important question for us to ask. What is God really like? When I've heard people talk about God before, some of the things that you hear about God are interesting. Some people see him like a force, like, may the force be with you. It's an impersonal force out there, some sort of force that we call God. On television, I've seen him described with a really bass voice and thunder, you know, thunder coming down, lightning, and there's God, you know. And I've seen him portrayed that way on television before. I've seen God portrayed like a old, maybe grandfather figure, and he's just a nice, gentle old man that will give you wise advice, you know, pretty harmless, but a good old man giving us wisdom. I've seen God portrayed as that judge ready to zap you when you do something wrong, almost in the way that like he gets delight in, you know, you're guilty, go to hell, and like he would get delight in that. I've seen these different perceptions of God. Jesus came to explode the stereotypes or perceptions that people have of God. Now, in case you don't know this, who exactly is Jesus? As you read scripture, he's God himself coming to earth as a man. We talk about the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's God the Son. He's God coming to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, showing us what God is really like. And though he was a man, and 100% a man, you know, in the sense of physically, you know, he had a human body, you know, uh, human emotions, human brain. He was 100% a man, yet he was 100% God in his character. But he related on earth like we would to the Father. And in Matthew 6, 9, he describes who God is in the Lord's Prayer. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He described God in two ways. He used the word our Father. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, he calls God Father more times in Matthew chapter 6 than the whole Old Testament calls God Father. So even though in the Old Testament the term Father is in there, it was so rarely, rarely used, people in the Old Testament time didn't walk around talking to the Lord, our God, as, his, as their father, as a heavenly father. It was not a part of their culture. It wasn't a part of their way of thinking. Even though it's in Scripture, a few times here and there in all those years of the Old Testament. But in chapter 6, he calls God Father more times than the whole Old Testament. And he, he's focusing on one aspect of God and who he is to us, a father. You can tell a lot about how a person wants to be known by the titles that they like. 
If somebody likes the title doctor, doctor so-and-so, that means that they really like the feeling of people thinking or calling them a doctor. You know, titles, you know, say a lot about, the, the titles that you want to be known for say a lot about, you know, how you want people to respond to you. What's the title that he's picking here? Father. Like, okay, that's the title he wants us to have for him. So now I know how he wants me to respond to him. He wants me to respond to him as a father. He's my father. And you notice it says God is a person, not a power. I like that because I can relate to a person. I can love a person. I can't love a power. I can understand a person. I don't think I can understand a power. I can get to know a person. I don't think I can under, get to know a power. So God being a person, and in this case, a father figure, I can get to know him. I can build a personal relationship with him. But for many people, the term father is not a positive term growing up. Because maybe their example of a father brings back unhappy childhood memories. When you think of your father, maybe you think of fear or anger or guilt or frustration. You know, some fathers make their home a hell on earth by their attitude, by the way that they live. Some are selfish and demanding. They neglect their children. They're impulsive. They're inconsistent. They're moody. So based on your perception of what a father is, calling God a father can be a good thing or a bad thing. It might bring back like, oh, it's like the kid that sees dad at home acting these ways and moody and consistent and impulsive and angry all the time. And then he goes to church and the, the, the children's church teachers are telling him, God, your heavenly father. And he puts two and two together and says, then no thanks for me. I know what it's like to have an earthly father. I don't want any more. One's bad enough. And sometimes even as adults, we're... we're We've had these bad experiences with our fathers, and it affects us when we think of God as being a father. So we need to see what kind of a father is he. When we call God a father, what is he like? In your notes, number one, God is a caring father. This is, I think, one of his most outstanding qualities because every child needs to feel like they have a father that cares for them, that loves them. Look at Psalm 104, 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God has compassion for you. He's actually a caring father. He knows how you're made. He knows that you're frail. He knows that you make mistakes. He understands that you're human. He understands that you're imperfect. He sees the negative qualities about you and the bad qualities about you, and yet he still loves you. He loves you anyway. That's a caring father. I love my children. Every one of my children have good qualities and bad qualities, just like I do. I love them. It doesn't matter what their bad qualities are. I love them no matter what because they're my children. God has that type of care for you. I think we feel like God doesn't care. In Mark chapter 4, the disciples are in a boat together, and Jesus is taking a nap in the boat. And then a storm starts to come up, and the boat starts rocking, and this and that. And then they wake up Jesus, and they say, don't you care? 
that we're drowning or that we're sinking? Don't you care that we're sinking? And I believe that that's a common feeling that we have about God with whatever the situation we are going through. Our question to God is, don't you care? Don't you care? Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So God, don't you care about my house payment? God, don't you care that I have a health problem? God, don't you care whether I have success or failure in my life? God, don't you care about my children getting the best education? God, don't you care whether or not I get married, whether or not I meet the right person? I don't want to be single forever. God, don't you care that I just had a big blow up with my boyfriend or girlfriend? God, don't you care about how I feel? And a lot of times we walk away feeling that we're with a God who doesn't care. We go through problems and we don't see the change happening. I don't see any change happening. Does God even really care about me? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 32, it says this. This is Jesus speaking here. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He's saying, God knows the details of your life. He knows the little things. He knows the number of hairs on your head. God knows the details. He's interested even in the little things. Sometimes we think, I'm going through something, but it's small stuff. God would not care about this. If it's affecting you, God cares. If it's bothering you, God cares. If he cares enough to know the number of hairs on your head, then he cares about the little details. So you can take everything to God in prayer because he cares. He's a father that cares. In Psalms 35, 27, it says, The Lord delights in the well-being of his servants. God wants you to be well. He delights in the well-being of you. So he does care. You might say, from all the circumstances I see, from the health report that I just got, there's no evidence that he cares. God cares. God loves you and he cares. We think somehow that if we don't see a change in the situation, that the father doesn't care. But that would be the same way of me saying if I had a child that was sick and the child wasn't getting well, that somehow that meant because I'm his dad, I don't care about him. No. You usually care more during those times. You know, you care more. God cares about you. See, we get care mixed up with, is God going to do a miracle and intervene and stop things? That's two different things. God isn't necessar- God's not going to necessarily perform miracles on everybody every time they're feeling sick. But he cares even more than you have the ability to care for your own children. People say, my problem with God is I just don't love him enough. And it's not true. The problem would be you don't understand how much he loves you. Because if you really understood how much God loves you, loving him would be nothing. If you feel like, I don't love God enough, no, you don't know how much he loves you. The Bible even says we love because he first loved us. Focus on how much God loves you and you will develop that love for, you, for him. He cares about every detail of your life. He's compassionate and caring. Number two, God is a consistent father. He's a father that can be counted on. He's dependable. He's reliable. He's worthy of your trust. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father 
who does not change like shifting shadows. Circle does not change because some fathers are unpredictable. They're unreliable. They're fickle. You know, they're always changing. It depends on what mood they have that day. And if they're in a good mood, you're going to have a happy day at home. If daddy's in a bad mood, you're going to have a miserable day at home. But everything's depending on him. And how he comes out, he'll either spew on everybody. If he's feeling bad, he'll make sure that everybody leaves that day feeling bad. Or if he's feeling good, then everybody has peace and they're feeling good. And he takes control of the attitude of the whole house. He's affecting everybody in there. We need to know that God's not like that. God's consistent. Do you know an inconsistent father produces insecure children? We want our children to be secure. God's consistent. God never has a bad day. He doesn't wake up grumpy and moody. You don't have to think, what daddy's coming home today? Happy daddy or angry daddy? What happened at work today? You don't have to worry about that with your father because he's consistent. He's faithful. He doesn't have these mood swings. It's not like one minute he's nice to you and the next minute something happens and now he's mean to you. That's not the God of the Bible. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. That means he doesn't change. I'm unfaithful to him. You know what? He's still faithful to me. Wow. I'm inconsistent toward him. Like I said, God, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. Then I end up being inconsistent. And you know what? He remains consistent with me. I'm unreliable. I say, God, I'm going to do this for you, but things get going and I never get around to doing it. I'm unreliable. And you know what? God remains reliable to me. He's dependable. So even if I'm not doing my part, he stays consistent. He stays faithful to me. He stays reliable. He stays dependable. No matter what's changing in this world, because we live in a, a world that's constantly changing. We're in a political season where people have this fear. If one person's elected, it's going to go way over this way bad. If the other person's elected, it's going to go way over this way bad. You hear how people are on these different extremes of how they're thinking. Well, no matter what happens in this world, because the world does have ups and downs. We live in a world that does have all these changes going on where things can go really well and then a few years later, things can be really down. But no matter what goes on, God doesn't change. God is still consistent. God is still dependable. You can keep that relationship with God. And he's going to be that stable force in this world no matter what else. All hell can break loose on this earth. And God will still be dependable. God will still be trustworthy you'll still be able to rely on God. In Malachi 3, 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. No matter what happens, you can trust him. He's not going to change. One of the main reasons children rebel is out of resentment because of broken promises. Parents promise this and they do that. Parents say this and then they do something else. And that inconsistency causes kids to rebel. God's consistent. In Psalms 18, 30, it says, What a God he is, how perfect in every way. All his promises prove true. Which means, if God says it, you can count on it. You don't have to feel like, like that earthly dad that says, Yeah, you're a kid. And he says, Yeah, we're going to go to Disneyland this summer. And then it never happens. And then you're upset and hurt. God's not going to do that. If God promises you something, it's going to happen. Number three, the third characteristic about God as a father 
is God is a close father. He's someone that can be counted on. He's nearby when you need him. He's available. He is accessible. In Acts chapter 17, Paul gives this sermon in Athens, in Athens, Greece. He's talking to the people there. He's trying to open up their minds to, to who the Lord is. And in his message, he says, God doesn't live in a temple or little houses made by the hands of men. That God's everywhere. He's not just in these temples that you're making by the hands of men. Like men make this temple and then automatically that's where God is because that's what's the thought of the people. Why did he say this? In Acts 17, 27, he says, God did this so man would reach out for him and find him since he's not far from each one of us. See, he's talking to a crowd of people that don't know the Lord yet. Sometimes we have this idea that when you give your life to the Lord, he's close to you. But those who have not met the Lord yet, he's far from them. But that's not what it says. He says, God did this so that man would reach out for him and find him. God wants you to find him. And he said, why? He is not far. God's not way far. He's not far from each one of us. So God's close. He wants you to connect with him. He wants it to be easy for you to talk to him and to be in a relationship with him. He's not trying to be miles and miles away, no matter what you feel. You might feel like God's so far away from me. He's just so removed from where I am. And he's not. He's very close to us. Kids today grow up with absentee fathers. Fathers that are never there or too busy. I'm not necessarily talking about fathers that aren't in the home. The father might be living in the home, but they're detached. When they're at home, they don't spend any time with their children. They read the newspaper. They watch TV. They have a business plan. They're physically in the home, but mentally and emotionally, they're always somewhere else. They don't have a deep relationship with their own kids. Obviously, that's going to cause emotional problems for a child growing up in that type of environment. We think the fact that I'm home means something. But it's more than that. You have to have a relationship with the kids. But even if your own dad is distant and detached and aloof, God's not that way. God wants to be close to you. He delights in being close to you. He delights in talking to you. You're not annoying to him. You're not a bother to God. Maybe your earthly father treated you like you're, you're in the way. You're bothered. I'm too busy for you. I don't have time for you. Go play outside. But no matter what your earthly father treated you like, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, he's delighted to talk to you. He wants a close relationship with you. He's proud of you. He's happy that you're his son or daughter. Here's some encouraging facts. Number one, God is never too busy for me. He's never too busy. In Psalms 145, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. So he's close to you. He's never too busy to talk. You're never going to say, Hey, God, have something I need to talk to you about. And he says, Not now, I'm too busy. It's funny. Apparently, I've been saying this sometimes to my daughter because the other day I went to my daughter. She's three years old. And I said, Hey, uh, come over here and help me play with, uh, I just need a little help with her playing with the baby, with Arthur. And then she said, Dad, I'm too busy right now. I said, you, hey, too busy. Get over here and help. <laughs> but it's funny. I thought maybe, maybe she's learned that from me because I work out of the house. I'm working on my son, uh, sermon. She comes up, I'm too busy right now. So she's learning what dad does. Number two, 
God loves to meet my needs. He's not annoyed by my request. God, he's not annoyed that you're asking him for things. In Matthew 7, 11, it says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If me, an imperfect father, someone that makes mistakes, someone that sins, someone that sins sometimes by accident, but someone that sins sometimes on purpose. Okay, you can't tell me you never sin on purpose. We, we mess up. And even as flawed as I am, if I want to give my kids the very best, and if I want them to have the best experiences, and if I want them to have the best life, and I want to do everything I can to help them have the greatest life possible, how much more so will a perfect heavenly father want the best for you? So he's a God that's, he, he loves to meet my needs. It's not a burden to him. He's excited about caring for you. He's consistent. He's close to you. He's never too busy. He's never moody and annoyed by something that you're asking him for. The answer might be no. I love my kids, and they might ask me something, and sometimes the answer is no. That doesn't mean that I don't love them and want the best things for them. Sometimes it's no because I just don't think they're ready for that yet. Maybe it's something I feel like he or she's not mature enough for that yet, or he or she isn't ready for that. Or maybe it's something that's no because I just know it's not good for them. The answer no does not, is not a sign that God doesn't love to meet your needs. It's a sign that God loves you so much that he knows what to say no to or what to say not yet to and what to say yes to because of love. But he loves to meet your needs. If God gave you everything that you ever asked for, you'd be the most spoiled brat in the whole world. You'd be the most rottenest person and sometimes the desires that we have are just so wrong in the moment. The desire that we have is sometimes just so wrong and so out there. Praise God he loves you enough to not give you everything you ask for. Number three, God is sympathetic to my hurts. In Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you hurt, God hurts. When you grieve, God grieves. When you're brokenhearted and you're crushed and you have that feeling like, I don't know how I can even get out of bed in the morning. You just want to stay there because you're depressed. God feels for you. He knows what that's like. One of the things about Jesus coming to earth is God knows what you're going through. He understands those feelings. God's caring. He's consistent. He's close. Some of you, your heart has been broken. You've gone through a loss. You've gone through bad experiences at work, maybe. Maybe you had a major fight with your spouse. Or, but you, you've, you've gone through some tough stuff. Maybe your heart's broken because your kids are going down the wrong path. And your heart's breaking. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. When do you think God is closest to somebody? God is closest to you when you're in your deepest need. When you're in your deepest hurt. God's the closest to you during that time. And number four, God's a capable father. He can handle any situation. There's no problem that's too tough for him. There's nothing beyond his ability. It's not like, oh, I would pray to God about this one, but, you know, he just can't handle that. I, I, I'd be asking him something just too much for him to be able to handle. No, God can do anything that you imagine. I'm not saying he's going to do everything you ask, 
But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus healed people that were dead, and they came back to life. If Jesus has the ability to help a dead person come back to life, believe me, God can do anything. It doesn't mean that you'll pray for a dead person and they'll come back to life. But I'm telling you, God can do it. He's a capable father. He can do more than what you can imagine. In Aramaic, that's the language that Jesus spoke when he was alive. He gave that prayer, our Father who art in heaven. But it's not an accurate translation. Even though when you read the translations of the Bible, they'll say, our Father who art in heaven. They kind of stick with the traditional Lord's Prayer. But that word Father, in his language, is the word Abba. It's not the word Father. It doesn't mean the same thing as our word Father. Abba, the literal translation of Abba is Daddy. It's different. Daddy is different than Father. Father's formal. Daddy is a word that, that Arthur at nine months my, is starting to say sounds like that. Like, starting to say sounds that sound like maybe he's trying to say Mama and Dada. You know, Daddy. So it's Abba in their language. That's Daddy. So the most amazing thing to the Jews when they were around Jesus, because I told you in the Old Testament it mentioned him as Father before, but it never used the word Abba. And then Jesus is praying, let me tell you how to, how to pray. And it changes the whole meaning when he says, our daddy that's in heaven. That's a lot different than our father that's in heaven. It changes the whole meaning. Our daddy that's in heaven. Because when I go home every day because of the age of my daughter, she's three years old, when I go home every day, the first thing that my daughter says is, our father's home. Our father. No, that's not what she says. You know what she says? Daddy, daddy, daddy. That's what she says. And I wouldn't trade that for a million dollars. You know, because it's like she's excited. Daddy, daddy, daddy's here. It's way more personal than the formal word father. Now when you hear the Lord's prayer and he's saying, our daddy who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. What is he calling holy? He's using the word Abba as being holy is your name. He's saying, Daddy, what a holy name that is. Daddy. Daddy, 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 what a holy name that is. It changes everything. That's the relationship that God wants you to have with him, like you would with a daddy. In Luke 137, it says, for nothing is impossible with God. What's the decision that you're facing this week? What's the mountain that needs to be moved? Is it a cancer? Somebody's moved out of your life. You're going through a bankruptcy. Your kids are having some sort of problem. Uh, you can't seem to break some sort of bad habit. It says nothing is impossible with God. God can do it. God can give you the strength that you need. In Jeremiah 32, 27, it says, I'm the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It's saying, think up a problem that just couldn't be solved. Is anything too hard for me? Whatever you think up, is anything too hard for me? And the answer is no, he can do it all. Doesn't mean he will do everything you want him to do because he loves you too much just to do everything you want, but he can do it. So you're talking about God who's capable to do anything. See, as a little kid, I used to look up at my dad and think, man, he can do anything. As a little kid, you know, when you were little, you know, you believe your dad can do anything. I mean, they're like, you know, 
they really are like a, a picture of God, I think, to the mind of a little kid. You know, daddy can do anything. As you grow up, your eyes start to open up and you start to find imperfections in your dad. He can't do anything. You know, I used to think as a kid, you know, mom was just a saint, just a saint. Like you can't find anybody, you know, as holy as mom. But as you grow up and your eyes get open, you find out, oh, she sins too. She sins too. But as a kid, you know, you think they're perfect, but as you grow up, you find out they're imperfect. They have flaws. They do fall short. The greatest thing about the Heavenly Father is He does not have flaws. He does not fall short. He really is the God that can do everything. He's not like your human parents that are, that are imperfect. He can do it. Look at Ephesians 3.20. This verse, by the way, it's one of my favorite verses. And every time I read it, and I use it a lot on Sundays because, it just, because of what it does to my own mind. This is why I like to use it, because it just blows me away. God is able to do far more, not a little bit more, far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. I can dream of big things. I can believe God for amazing things. And yet, he's able to do far more than I would dare to ask or even dream of. I think I have big dreams. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers. Infinitely. He said, I can do a little bit more than your prayer. No, no, no. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Don't you have a vivid enough imagination to believe that God can do, like, amazing things only to find out what we're believing God can do is so short of what he can really do? Like, you think you have these big goals. You think you have these big dreams. And God is saying, is that all you're believing me for? That's all you're believing me for? You say, well, how much infinitely more could he do? Have you ever looked at the universe? How big it is? There's galaxies as big as our galaxy is that we're just one of these small galaxies. And there's galaxies. I'm not talking about the solar system. I'm talking about the whole galaxy. And then there's other galaxies. And it's just, and he created all that. Yeah, he can do infinitely more than I could imagine. I can't imagine what he's done just with space. He can do infinitely more. So you're talking to a God that's capable, that you can rely on. You know, what can I expect my Father from my Father in heaven? In Philippians it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Well, what are his riches? If he can supply all my needs according to his riches, how much riches does God have? He has unlimited riches. God has unlimited resources, unlimited energy, unlimited knowledge, unlimited time. What I'm saying is he's capable. We can live by faith. We can say, in spite of what I see in my circumstances, I'm believing by faith that this loving Father is looking out for me, wanting the best, and I'm going to pursue the best and I'm believing by faith, he's going to work it out for whatever is the best. He might not give me everything I want, but I'm believing him for way more than I can do. Do you know it takes zero faith for me to believe in God to help me with something I think I can do? How much faith? That's something I can do. I'll believe God for that. Zero faith. No faith at all. 
It takes a lot of faith for me to believe God to do something I can't do. Like, I don't have the ability to do that. Okay, that's my goal. That's my goal. Why? Because I've got to, I want to believe in God. I want him to get the credit. I want the glory to go to him. If I do something I can do, then the credit goes to me. Yeah, look, yeah, I knew I could do that. No problem. The Lord's Prayer gives us an example of what God does to, to meet our needs. He says, our Father, or we know it really says, our Daddy in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it goes into three things that he provides for us. It's, first of all, provision for today. Give us this day our daily bread. What Jesus is teaching us is God wants to provide for you right now. Then he talks about yesterday, pardon. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. He's talking about the past. Okay? So God wants to give you provision for today. He wants to give you pardon for yesterday. And then he wants to give you protection for tomorrow because it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's talking about the future. So God is saying, in the Lord's Prayer, I want to give you provision for today, pardon for yesterday, protection for tomorrow. It's about the past, the present, and the future. You know, I blew it in the past, and he forgives me. In the present, he's going to provide for me. In the future, he's taking care of me. He, he, he cares about yesterday's failures, today's frustrations, tomorrow's fears. He's capable. He wants to meet my needs. He wants to give me the best life that he possibly can. And there's no greater way to show that than Galatians 3, 26. For now we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no greater way to show that God wants your best than for him to allow you to be his child. Do you know the difference between God, your father, and your earthly father is it was your earthly father and mother that decided to have children, maybe. Maybe they weren't uh, planning to have children, but it was actions that they decided to do. Okay, it was your earthly father. But when it comes to your heavenly father, it's you that gets to choose whether or not you want him to be your father. It's a choice that you make. And the fact that God says, I want you to be a part of my family. I want to adopt you. I want to adopt you as my son. I want to adopt you as my daughter. I want to be your father. Let's, let's, let's be a family. Let's, let's be together. For now, we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All we simply did was put faith in Jesus Christ, and we're now part of the family. But he lets us choose whether or not we want to be a part of his family. Can you imagine? There's a great couple, and they have unlimited resources, unlimited things like that, and they say, I want to adopt you as my child. I want all of this to go to you. I want you to get my inheritance. I love you so much. Well, that's what the Father's doing. And what do we inherit? The inheritance is heaven. How good is heaven, being with God? Well, I don't know, but it says in the Bible that he created the whole world in six days. I don't know if that was a literal six days or six time periods. I don't know. But I know he says he's been working in heaven for the last 2,000 years. So I know something's good up there. So the point being is God wants to bless you. He wants to give you a great inheritance. He wants you to be a part of his family. He loves you. He cares about you. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Now, Jesus doesn't say, I'm a good way. He doesn't say, I'm one of the ways. He says, I am the way. The way. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Is that saying that Jesus is the only way to God? Isn't that kind of arrogant? Christians are so arrogant. We think that Jesus is the only way to God. You just have to think about what the Bible says. The Bible says that God came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus isn't just some good prophet and whatever. He's God. He took the sins of the world, your sins, put them on himself, and died as a penalty, dying for your sins. So now your sins have been died for. He rolled back to life, showing that he conquered them. Okay? Paid off your sins. What's the only thing that separates us from God is our sin. What's the only thing that keeps us out of heaven is our sin. He takes your sin. He dies for you. He pays off the penalty. He rises back to life, showing that your sins have been taken care of. Is there anybody else that did that? Jesus is the only way to God. In other words, if Jesus didn't die for your sins, then you're guilty of your sins. You had to pay the price. And that's what hell's about. Hell's about God loves us, but man sins, and we've chosen to separate ourselves from God. So God himself comes and pays up the penalty. The penalty's gone. You're forgiven. Come on in. And by faith, we choose to have that relationship, or we choose to reject it. Jesus is the only way to God. Nobody else. Moses never died for anybody's sins. Muhammad never died for anybody's sins. Krishna never died for anybody's sins. Nobody's died for their sins. Only Jesus, God, only God coming to earth paid off your penalty. The only way that you can get to God is through God. You can't get there by being a good person. No one's good enough to reach God. I mean, arrogance would be for me to say, hey, I'm such a good person. You know, I did this, I did this, I did this. I reached God. I am so hot. That's arrogance. The message of the Bible is, I'm not good enough to reach God. Praise God, God reached me. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's no other way. Can something that Muhammad said open up somebody's mind to God and get them eventually to Jesus? Yeah. Can something that Krishna said open up somebody's mind to God and through that avenue eventually get somebody to Jesus? Yeah. Can something that Buddha said open up somebody's mind to spiritual things and eventually get them to, because they're open to that now, to God? Yeah. Can something at an AA meeting where it's a God of your own understanding open up somebody's mind to God and eventually get them there? Yeah. God can use several ways to open up somebody's mind that will eventually get them to look at God and find Christ. But only Jesus died on the cross for your sins. There is no other person Only God can take away your sins. Nobody else. Not a man, not a priest. Only Jesus can forgive you. Only God can forgive you. And God forgives you through through Christ. It's Christ who did it. In John 1, 12, it says, But to as many as received him, Jesus, he gave them the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. In this verse, it gives two qualifications for becoming a child of God. Believe and receive. You believe in Jesus and you receive him into your life. When you receive Jesus into your life, what does that mean? Does that mean when you stand on the scale tomorrow morning, you're 150 pounds heavier because Jesus came in? No, it doesn't mean that. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But when you put your faith in Jesus, God's Spirit comes in you. He starts living in you. When you invite Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit is in you. You now have God inside you. That's what happens. You put your faith in Jesus, and now God lives inside you. That's why you can't go to hell. Can you send God to hell? No. God lives inside you. you can, it's impossible for you to go to hell. The moment you give your faith to Christ and you allow the Holy Spirit in you, that's why you can say, I know I'm going to heaven. And you're not saying that because you're arrogant about how good you are. It's you're so confident that if God's forgiven me and he's living inside me, my faith's in what he did for me. Do you feel close enough to God to call him Father? Do you have that kind of relationship? Or is he far, far away from you? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church or catechism or Baptist, Buddhist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopal, Assembly of God, Mormon, Jew. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about our relationship with him. I have a relationship with God. He's my daddy. He's my daddy. He's somebody close to me. He's a part of my life. I talk to him every day when I'm praying. I talk to him. I'll have times where I talk to him and I'll ask him questions and I'll just sit silently and just wait and just be calm. And sometimes through inspiration, he kind of answers that question. Sometimes through something I'm reading in the Bible, he answers it. But it's a relationship. I'm trusting him. Does he give me everything I ask for? Absolutely not. But I'm trusting that he's guiding me, that he's taking care, that he has enough wisdom to know. And you know why one of the reasons he doesn't give me everything that I ask him for? Because he wants me to learn from my mistakes. He wants me to learn. One thing about being a father, I want my kids to be mature. I don't bail my kids out of every mistake they make. Oh, let me bail them out. Let me bail them out. No, I let them see the consequences, and I make them have to get themselves out of there. Okay, you have to do this. You have to do, you, okay, you broke it. Now you have to pay for it with your money. They don't have enough money. Well, then you get money on your birthday, I guess you're going to have to give, you're going to pay for it with your birthday money because they have to learn that they broke something, they had to pay for it. I, I want them to learn to be responsible. I don't want my kids to be brats. I don't want my kids to be irresponsible. I want my kids to be good, healthy people. So sometimes God says to me, Jimmy, you're forgiven, but you're going to have to work an extra job to pay that off. <laughs> That you're forgiven, but that it's going to cost you. It's not that you're not forgiven. It's you need to have responsibility. You need to take responsibility for yourself and do this and do that. And be a man. And man up and be a man and show your children how to be a man. By taking responsibility. By doing what you're supposed to do. Because God loves me that much. That's not a punishment. That's because he, he wants me to be healthy. He wants me to be a, a good person. Maybe you would say today, I've never really put my faith in Jesus Christ where I said, okay, God, I get it now. God reached me. I didn't reach him. God forgave me. It's all about what God did for me. God, I wanted to put you in the center of my life. Maybe that's you today. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray along with me silently this prayer. And any part of what I pray, if it relates to what you're going through, uh, make this your prayer as well. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to be my father. As much as I know how, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to believe that you sent him. I want to receive him into my life. I ask that you put your presence in my life. 
Come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. And Lord, help me to realize how much you really care about me. Help me to get a new sense of your love. Father, help me to realize that you're consistent. Father, I thank you that you love me just as much on my bad days as you do on my good days. I thank you that you never change, that you're not moody, you're not fickle. Lord, I thank you that you're close to me. Help me to sense that closeness, to feel it. Thank you, Father, that you're capable, that there's no situation, there's no experience that you can't handle so I can fully trust my life to you, knowing that you're going to look out for the best, that you're going to guide me in the best direction. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your power. I thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen.